Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, from one of my favorite bands ever, from 16, Bobby Ferry is here. Now, this is a band that I've loved for a very long time and actively collected, but still knew very little about. So this is, a, this is a huge conversation for me. More on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. Thank you, Tristan, for all the hard work you do on this show. It's just a, just a two-person team. <laughs> just him and I over here. So thank you, Tristan. Without you, it would be, uh, be a unicycle and... I can't ride those. So you can find me on various forms of social media at left for Damien or Twitter or Instagram. Also, there is a turned out a punk TikTok page at turned out a punk for posting these shorts that I've been making. You can also find them on the YouTube page, which is YouTube slash at turned out a punk. There's a couple of longer form documentaries that I've been making as well. And I will continue to make those. So thank you everyone who's checked those out and, uh, I hope you like them. I just put up a new one last week about the time ICP, Insane Clown Posse, met Cold as Life. And you can watch that video over there on those platforms. All Oh, the best way to support the show is by telling all your friends about it, letting them know, and subscribing to this and rating it if you uh, want to. And if you do want to sponsor this podcast, please email Tristan. Let, let us know uh, what you're thinking because uh, bills. Because bills. Speaking of bills, I play in a band to pay some of those bills. We're called Fucked Up. We have a brand new record coming out very soon called One Day on the Mighty Mighty Merge Records, home of Super Chunk, home of uh, Mountain Goats, home of Bob Mould, home of Tyson Dronicus, home of, oh man, actually a lot of my friends are on that label. It's a, it's a great label. And we are very happy to have this record come out. I'm very stoked for you to hear it. You can pre-order it now. You can find out more information over at merge.com, mergerecords.com, or over at fuckedup.cc, which is our webpage. And we've released some videos, including a new video, I Think I'm Weird, I Think I Might Be Weird, directed by Max McCabe Locus, who was on Turn Out a Punk a few weeks ago. So watch the video. It's Synergy. Synergy, that's what we're working on here on Turn to Punk. But anyway, check out One Day, our new record. I'm very excited for you to hear it. In stores, January 27th. Fucked Up will be coming on tour if you live in Edmonton or I think three other cities. We're going a very short tour. I think Calgary's, we're playing, we're playing Calgary and Saskatoon. I'm 90% sure it's Saskatoon. Anyway, find out those dates. Come and see us at those shows. You can find out all that information over at fuckedup.cc. All right, on to today's episode. Today on the show, as I said off the top, from one of my favorite bands ever, a band that I've loved. I remember first hearing about this band in Maximum Rock and Roll. There was just so much mystery. Like their name was 16. The graphics looked amazing. Sometimes it would be cool old photos. Sometimes it would be pusset art. But there was just something about this band that drew me in. And then hearing their records, I, I say it to Bobby in this interview, there are songs on Dropout that, ooh, they got me through. Those That record 
a lot of their records, all their records, including the new one, Into Dust, which is one of my favorite records from last year. 16 is a band that constantly evolves membership-wise. Bobby founded the band and then left the band for a second, then came back to the band. But the one thing that is always consistent is the power of the number 16, the band 16, I mean. It's a great number, too. But the band 16 and that number that sort of, name and logo and anyway, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Uh, that's it. I check out into dust on relapse. It's their latest album came out last year. It's on a lot of people's favorite records from last year, which is great because I feel like this band is consistently, uh, overlooked and, and underrated by a lot of people because they are, oh, they're awesome. There's no other way to put it. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Sit back, relax and enjoy Bobby Ferry on turned out. Bobby, thank you so much for coming on the show. Of course. My pleasure. Well, as I was just telling you off air, I feel like, you know, being around music for this long and and doing this podcast and playing in a band, I've gotten a chance to meet a lot of my musical heroes. You're one of the few I've never met. So this is like a huge thrill for me to get to do this with you. Well, um, I'm a bit surprised, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I appreciate the kind words, of course. Well, I think 16 oper- like occupies such a unique space in not just punk, but music. Like it's a, it's an island unto itself. And, you know, there's just so much mystique for me and, and just so much history. And I'm going to get through all of it, hopefully, or most of it tonight. But I got to start it off the way they all start off, which is, Bobby, how'd you get into punk? Remember the first time you ever came across it? Um. Oh, yeah. Like, literally, like, four years old. Uh, I was brought to the skate park in uh, Orange, California. You know, parents were never getting along. And uh, my dad worked construction. And he would just drop me off literally as like a five, maybe five, six. I got the photos of it, of me skating then. So maybe the late seventies. Uh, and I was just left at the skate park uh, as daycare, but also out of, I demanded it. I was, you know, I was, I was literally, I am the man I am today because I was that kid at the, and I'm, I'm no, 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 I'm not that man. I'm, I'm not the man. I am that kid from that. Yeah. is what I'm trying to say you know like it was just skateboarding and then hearing you know Devo uh, you know Ramones uh, Devo Ramones X Germs uh, you know Dwayne Peters used to skate there Steve Olson used to skate there I might have became like six years old and I would hang out there all summer like every summer I was just a local and I, you know I was okay well I mean I was actually probably really good for my age but in my opinion, I wasn't very good. But you know, that's a that's a lifelong thing. Um, but just being exposed to those guys and the fact that you know, trying to explain. I remember trying to explain the Sex Pistols to my parents in their Volkswagen Bug. Uh, you know, driving to like Alhambra uh, to the LA County Fair, and they were just like, "This is horrible. This is not music. Like we're worried about you." You know, we're worried about you, um, you know, but, I, you know, there's just no talking to me. It was that was that. So that was my big, you know, whatever imprints you was the skate park, the, the lessons of gravity, the falling on your face, the having real experiences of courage, 
and self-determination and challenge and injury. Um, and then couple that with uh, the older kids and skateboarding were not like a bully culture. Uh, you know, I was a, a weird blonde haired crooked teeth kid from California, which I probably looked perfectly in California. But, um, you know, I, I never felt comfortable in my own skin until I was around that and heard, you know, Devo, Black Flag, um, you know, Adolescent, Circle Jerks, TSOL. And I grew up in Orange County. So the, those were the cool people to me. They not were they weren't the athletes. I, I still to this day I can't. Um, I've never been to a high school football game. I, I don't think I've sat through a full. I've never been to an NFL game. I can't throw a baseball. Uh, so my my life was just this skateboarding punk rock. That's it till now. But, you know, you hear stories about, you know, I think it's Tony Hawk has a story about the first time he met Dwayne Peters and he spat in his face. Uh, there, there there was like an edge to skateboarding back then. Like, I guess you're so young. But did they take you under their wing kind of thing? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, and nihilism, kind of like that Darby Crash nihilism, you know, that was a part of it. And that's mm. why I think a lot of skaters uh, get involved in hard drugs, too, because there's just this you know, I already huck myself off stairs and pools. Who cares? You know, yeah. like, you know, I don't think there's anyone tougher. Um, but yeah, there, there was definitely a nihilism to it. And that's kind of also attractive too, because that was like so different than Christian school. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I guess, I guess your parents, did your parents grow up in California, Southern California? Uh, they didn't. Um, okay. I was born in Anaheim. Uh, my parents are from Florida and New Jersey. I'm, I've been fascinated by California in kind of the late 70s because it's sort of, it feels like that's sort of the emergence from the post-Manson era. Like youth culture was so clamped down upon at the end of the 60s and that it's really the skateboarding, the punks in the late 70s that kind of bring youth culture back to California in sort of like a rebellious kind of way, it seems. Uh yeah, I think maybe, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, if you ever look at that show in Pomona, the, the Cal Jam, where like Sabbath plays, I mean, there was like, I know zero facts, but yeah. there was like, uh, I don't know, half a million, a million. I don't, let's just say there was a, a fuck ton of people there. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I thought it was always um, filled with kids who were going to drive the culture. Um and it, it had that window. You're right. It had that kind of, uh, you know, the all, all the hippie shit that tore it down right there. You're obviously getting into this stuff super young. Like, when did you start going to see bands play? What was the first band you saw play? Doesn't have to be punk, even. Um, I saw. So, um, you know, my then my my parents got a divorce when they, I was six. My dad got on a sailboat and uh, sailed away you know, like into the dis distance and uh, went through the Panama Canal and, you know, basically lived on a sailboat. And I would come from, I would go with him for every three months. Wow. Go long-term long sailing. Uh, and, you know, we would listen to music and have crazy, you know, fucking Tarzan adventures. Uh, but my mom stayed here, or you know, I'm in San Diego now, but um, stayed in Orange, California and Tustin. Um, and, you know, she struggled. So she used to work uh, the health food shows. 
there used to be a health food circuit, like street fairs, you know, the early farmers markets mm-hmm. in LA. So we were, and she was also really into a transcendental meditation uh, and almost to the, to a damn near cult. Uh, you know, like we could have hit, we could have hit Charles Manson. We could have hit uh, Scientology. We could have hit Timothy Leary. I'm serious. Cause you know, we were hanging out on the beach all the time. We mm-hmm. were hanging out with the Krishnas. We'd always have dinner at the Krishnas as a kid in Laguna beach. And um, we were on, she was at uh, Santa Monica at like a street fair. And I saw the three o'clock, uh, the three o'clock are a great band. Yeah. And they were, and um, you know, I just followed them around like a puppy dog because they were playing the street fair. Um, and I was literally like a seven-year-old kid with my Santa Cruz skateboard going all over the dock, uh, you know, the boardwalk. Um, and we were camping you know, um, and those, I saw those guys and they were super gracious to a little kid and let me sit on the stage. And I was just like, okay, now I want a guitar and this is what I want to do. Like, this is it. This is it. You know, so I saw the three o'clock and just totally, you know, and again, right there, I might've been eight years old, Uh, you know, quintessential California, Santa Monica street fair, seeing the three o'clock while taking your skateboard around and, you know, I had no front teeth because I fell on my face and the whole bit, you know. Wow, that's awesome. Like, th- I love all that Paisley Underground stuff. And uh, that three o'clock, those three o'clock records are amazing. It's it's such a great time for music in Southern California. Like, it feels like at the same time hardcore is happening, there's also, like, the Paisley Underground stuff. There's, like, the beginning of sort of that Blood in the Saddle, Los Lobos kind of scene happening, too. Yeah, yeah. It was like very vibrant. It felt like like it must have been amazing to be a young person being into music that young and kind of taking it all in. You know, you, you didn't know what you didn't know. I mean, I know now how how kind of special uh, it was. But then again, I think music is that special to begin with. So it could have happened at a Tower Records anywhere. Mm-hmm. I think anyone's you know I think anyone's uh, experience could have been the same if you just had you know I mean come on you do music for your life and. It's just like, you know, succeed, fail, whatever. I'm listening to music like 10 hours a day, no matter what. You know, yeah, like, yeah. You know, and, and I've been this way forever. Just, you know, the, it's it's my, uh, what is it? It's my, you know, it's my nipple. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're on the boat with your dad, were you taking any music on those adventures or is it more just like survival on the open seas kind of thing? No, no. Um, you know, for a long time, he just went down to Baja and he, we'd hang out in La Paz and we crossed the Sea of Cortez into this other city called Las Mochas. And, uh, you know, we would just have crazy fishing adventures. And, you know, I was reading full books, you know, I was nine years old. I was just tearing through books. But the music we did have was I would tape K-Rock and KMET here in California for hours. I would tape, I would just bring him tapes and then every summer you know he'd call me you know hey bob got your plane ticket and i'd literally get on a fucking plane from orange county to la paz and then he picked me up and we go out in the dinghy and you know we just basically it's just living like i said like tarzan like you just like you know what fish are we gonna catch and you know um and and of course he was like um there was other people in the cruising community that had music you know, most of their shit was like Jackson Brown yeah. and stuff. But I, you know, I, I got to dig on Jackson Brown <laughs> and they, it was so funny. They took me to a Jackson Brown concert in the fourth grade 
uh, and I, I dug it, uh, you know, so I like a lot of that shit now too, you know, but, uh, you know, of course, do you live in LA or living in Orange County? It was K-Rock, it was Rodney on the Rock, every, you know, every Sunday you got to discover everything uh, that just opened your world, and especially later, you know, in like 1984, I think that all the British stuff became really good, uh, you know, so. So what was uh so after seeing the three o'clock were there like were there bands playing at the skate park kind of thing too or because i know Dwayne peters had what was he, he had a band right around then too right that was on one of those smoke seven comps i think i you know i don't know um that really i i hung out the big the big o and mm. that wasn't his home park um but you know he was a scary fella uh, back then, especially the kids, like, you know, he was definitely a famous skateboarder yeah. in, in our eyes, as famous as they got. Um, I, I uh, you know, used to more idolize Steve Olson uh, and the style um, back then. But no, um, I was just exposed to um, music at the skate park through the speakers, you know, through yeah. the speakers. Um, and this was the dying end of the skate park era so around 82 or 83 they all closed because of insurance um but then skateboarding i think got even better because then it turned into this pseudo outlaw activity and then uh, i think the you know the whole crossover metal punk thing happened mm -hmm. uh and so that was really awesome too so it was more of a dirty ditch skateboarding or backyard ramps uh and you know um, you know, Black Flag and DRI and all that, you know. So when did you, how old were you when you started going to concerts, right? Because you're, you're getting into this stuff so young, right? Like at eight or nine, I guess you're not really going to show shows. No, but uh, very, very young. Um, I, uh, we, we were at Fake ID literally when I was like 14 years old. You know, that said I was 21. I looked, I looked like nothing like 21. <laughs> I, I named... You know, I, I named myself something hilarious on my thing. Um, no, in fact, um, I was taken to shows uh, in junior high, but not not uh, punk shows. You know, like I said, like Jackson Brown and things at Irvine Meadows, which was close to the house. Uh, so, you know, bigger yacht rock type things with parents and stuff but when as soon as i got a license um i was uh you know 15 16 years old and uh, the pro skater uh ray barbie mm. uh, and, and me were like there was like four skateboarders at my high school and uh, ray barbie was one of them he moved from santa cruz and me and ray got really into um uh, red cross neurotica uh, you know, Di Dinosaur Jr. Uh, so my fake ID, I named myself Robert J. Mascus so I could go to shows, um, you know, and I had a legit like, you know, we, we got like fake birth certificates and then we would get tickets on these IDs, skateboarding, like get trespassing tickets and just be like, yeah, here's my ID. And Robert J. Mascus and just, you know, rack up a bunch of tickets on it and fuck off. Um, but you know, uh, I started playing guitar a lot, uh, just, you know, skating and uh, hanging out at Ray's. And Ray, I had a ramp, so Ray would hang out at my house and it was the place. So anybody, you know, we had guitars, you know, Hondos and shit like that. And uh, Ray had a super good ear and could already play, 
lead then you know so he would just park me on like two or three chords and then he would solo you know um and we were like 15 you know uh, but we started going up to la then uh, to see you know that was high school era um you know I, I really then i got really i mean i said you know i saw rollins band i saw the jerk circle jerks uh, i saw no doubt a billion times because they played like every weekend um you know, Sublime. We saw Sublime all the time. It was so funny because, like, Sublime, they'd play Huntington Beach, this place called Old World, and it would just be like a sketchy scene with fucking skinheads and shit. You know, um, but Sublime would just come out with this good reggae vibe. <laughs> There'd be fucking racist skinheads there. <laughs> you know? So, like, at that time, were, were, was the violence kind of subsiding at shows in Los Angeles? Because it's obviously so storied at this point the mid 80s kind of violence and gang violence that happened at concerts and stuff had that kind of uh, you know statistically everything was way more violent back then anyways if you yeah. look at like the real the real timeline um but no no it was it was pretty violent you know I, I was jumped either by gang members you know like when i was like 12 years old just for being in the wrong neighborhood skateboarding mm. just roll through the wrong neighborhood just get fucking jumped and chased um or by skinheads you know uh you know and then later on uh when fenders came in uh there became like other punk rock gangs and uh you know i'm not a violent person i never was like i said I, i've uh i've never even been in a fight i've just been uh jumped a couple times you're a jackson uh, you brown know. fan a peaceful jackson brown fan exactly <laughs> but i have but i have thrown some bricks through some car windows so you know there's yeah. there's that yeah uh but uh no um the violence you know fenders fenders violence was real uh there was punk gangs which i thought it was kind of nice because the skinheads were just the ultimate bad guys um you know if you're yeah. gonna get like jumped out of nowhere it was always skinheads you know and so when all the other gangs the there was the lads the la death squad and all these other gangs and they were just you know youthful like oh my god it's it, they're here we don't have to worry about the skins <laughs> you know <laughs> and then receive a country club and stuff but again i i, I was young and small and, and i don't dig on violence so I, I thought i but i encouraged their violence so in in the late 80s there's kind of the beginning of I, I don't know, like the more extreme side of hardcore that I would kind of put 16 in, like the pessimizer stuff, I guess, would fall into that to me. But like the the power violence stuff, Infest, No Comment, and those types of bands. Do you remember when that, that stuff started showing up or were you going to shows or seeing any of those bands? Um, So I started 16 um, and uh, my, my I had like a super Steve Albini uh, I used to listen to that album, Rape Man. Yeah. Constantly. I just want to, so I started 16 kind of on uh, that band, like, you know, just super abrasive. Um, and then um, meeting Chris Elder from Pessimizer Records, he actually gave me like a formal education the first time I met him. Like, he's like, here's no comment. Here's this song, Twist Down and Turn. Here's this. I want you to listen to this. Here. Here's Terrorizer, here's Napalm Death, here's, you know, like I'm saying, like, he just opened this whole world, literally, like, I met him at KXLU in LA, uh, you know, it, it might have been 91 or something, but he turned me on to all this great stuff that I was kind of missing. Um, before that, I mean, I was 
definitely into Slayer and Metallica and things like that. But all this great stuff was happening all around me that I had no idea, like excruciating terror and infest. Um, but especially no comment. I just loved no comment. And, you know, when 16 first form, what kind of bands were you guys playing with? Same as now, whoever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of the thing. We, we never really fit into a scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we were seeing people or if we threw a party. I don't know if many people would come that, you know, like, so I kind of wanted to make, I've always hated my home, my home city. And for a good reason, uh, there's a good reason to hate Orange County, California and LA. There's, there's a good reason to hate it. Um, but uh, who were we playing with? Anybody. I mean, our first show was at a backyard pool. The cops came and broke it up. Uh, we played at this place called the Doll Hut. Um, God, we played at this place called Bogarts, and we got like totally heckled, like speak, you know, like yelling at us to to speak in complete sentences. Um, so it, it was never really easy live until Jabberjaw, until Gar- Gary at Jabberjaw started giving us shows with you know Carp with hammerhead with unsane with you know someone like that was just so nice to us uh you know and um you know would put us on shows all the time it's such a cool venue like uh, it's i I didn't really understand it or appreciate how important that place was till that book came out and kind of flipping through that book and realizing like it, it just occupied such a key space for like yeah these noisy rock type band noise rock type bands i guess for lack of a better term to indie rock type bands to it just was such a it seems like a key transitional venue prior to i guess the alternative music explosion that would i guess change the landscape yeah why did you guys do a double seven inch for the first seven inch um you know um we had the music Mm -hmm. um and uh, the, the drummer at the time, um, you know, bankrolled it. So it was just like, do it. And he had his friend who did graphic design. And I, uh, you know, I, I, I wrote the songs. Of course, like anything, we just threw it together. Um, but through skateboarding, I was friends with a, a guy named O. Yes. O. The legend. O Bartholomew. Yeah. So, O, you know, O is another person that really is critical like gary from jabberjaw and O is a very critical person in our history for one encouragement like telling you like dude kids don't break up you're doing something good you know what i'm saying like giving you the the speech i'm sure you've given to new bands we're like you guys are doing something really good yeah and of course you know that all the good bands break up in like a year uh and then we look back and go oh my god they would have been huge um so, oh, uh, put us together with a guy in San Diego who was uh, recording, uh, you know, Drive Like Jehu and Rocket from the Crypt and a part of the San Diego scene and all those ska bands, a guy named Jeff Forrest. And we went down there for our first studio experience. And that was that seven inch. Um, that's not that's the standard seven inch or that's the double seven inch? The double seven inch. Oh, that's the double. Yeah. Okay. So you, I guess you met, oh, before, like long before the, the standard thing happened oh yeah yeah I, I knew i knew oh literally since i was like 12 years old from skating a, a ramp in westminster california and he took pictures for magazines so if you were going to get a picture in a skateboard magazine oh is the guy it, it's so awesome when you think about 
like how disparate the world in San Diego where you are, obviously, but like the music landscape was in terms of all these different little micro scenes and, and all in punk, but O's like the link between all of it. Yeah, we used to say, oh, like, I mean, it could happen any day now, you know, like I could go to the Casbah right now and he'd be there. And yeah. then I would go to this other place called the Whistle Stop and he'd be there. And then I'd go to this other spot and he'd be there, you know, like uh, he's an enigma. He's uh, but like he's an undying 50 years of of enthusiasm. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, and it, the, the people that O has brought together is probably more than I know, of course. Well, it's uh, amazing. And, he, and the, what he he turned a bunch of people on to a bunch of good stuff, too. Oh, absolutely. And when you go through that label of just seeing the bands you put out from like you guys to Rock from the Crypt to Phantom Surfers, like it's uh, it, it just reflects the kind of uh, range, I guess, of worlds that he's involved in. And but it's like it's all punk once again, like he's, you know, from Olive Lawn to Fluff and he's still got his hands helping out younger bands that are coming up, like keeping this thing alive. He's doing it to this day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, when was the first time you guys toured? Uh, you know, we were never really a big touring band. Our first like U.S. tour was like 1997. Um, we were all uh, pretty economically unstable. Mm. You know, we were like apartment kids mm -hmm. uh, in Orange County. So, uh, you know, having uh, survival, even though it sounds funny because that's a super opulent place. Uh, but we were, it was pretty hard to survive, like just a place to live there. So as far as like picking up and touring, um, we never really, we, you know, we would go to San Francisco, you know, we would go to LA. Those, those were our tours, <laughs> you know, um, but not until, uh, our second album, um, uh, Blaze of Incompetence, did we actually attempt a full tour, you know? Did you, we guys went to Japan at some point before that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we went to Japan and I guess I skipped over a big thing there. So, um, you know, uh, Pusshead wrote us a letter out of Maximum Rock and Roll and uh, said, I want you to be on my record label. And then we went and recorded like four songs for Pusshead and uh, those turned into the Crystal Seven. It basically what turned into our first album. Uh, and then like six months later, he writes another letter saying, hey, do you want to go to Japan? And so we did. But, you know, a tour of Japan is four shows. Yeah. Um, you know, I just got I just I don't really consider that touring. I consider like, you know, we just did, uh, you know, 14 shows in 14 days <laughs> or 15 days. That's touring. You know what I'm saying? The, the grind of going for 28 days. That's touring. So honestly, we've only done that like since, I don't know, since like 2010. <laughs> <laughs> It must be so weird though. Like, so Japan's like the first, like, you know, it's just four days. That's like a, that, that like, you know, is a tour and that's normally the, the tour that like comes at the end of your career. And here you guys are starting out with a Japanese tour. I know. huh? Oh no. You know, it's, it was a lot too soon to be honest with you. I think, um, developmentally, uh, musically it, it set a weird expectation because we really needed to go out and, uh, punish ourselves in in the in the, the Gilman type scene mm -hmm. of places, you know, uh, and uh, so we got to skip a step, but it didn't help at all in the long run. 
Were you guys playing with uh, any, like, obviously, you know, Puss had put out some Japanese bands, but would you guys play with any of the Japanese hardcore bands that were happening at that time? Because it's such a vibrant time for that stuff there, too, in the early 90s. Uh, we played, really, I think most of the dates were with this band called uh, Concrete Octopus mm-hmm. that had uh, Eye from the Boredoms. Uh, so, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so we played with them. We played with another band called Coco Bat, yeah. which was, uh, you know, Puss Head was on his label. Um, so that's, that's what we played with, but the shows were amazing. You know, we were, we were playing to jabber jaw to like 30 people max. And then we go to Osaka and play to like 400 people. Yeah. So it was like, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're, what was the scene you guys were kind of finding yourselves in, in America? Like, were you playing with, cause obviously grief's in Boston, but like, were you a scene or is that more just like a, a label type thing? The pessimizer thing. No, Pessimizer, I think, came along with a scene Mm. when we started putting, you know, when we put out Dropout on Pessimizer, um, you know, we added Phil Vera, who would later go on to do Despise You and uh, Crom and Trappist. um, And uh, we started playing with Pessimizer bands. So things got, uh, you know, things got a little crustier, (laughs) uh, you know. but it was it was awesome, you know. I was into it all. But like you, I said, I got a really good I got a really good education from Chris Elder, from Chris Pessimizer. Yeah, because you, your sounds there right from the first double seven inch. Like that's the thing. It's like the band, like you're saying, like musically. You, you, I don't know. You said something about not being fully formed, but I don't know. The band's fully formed from that first double seven inch, and just goes from there for me. Uh, you know, um, I have the gift of ignorance. <laughs> Um, you know, like I have this gift of ignorance and enthusiasm. Yeah. You know, I'm enthusiastically ignorant. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and also skateboarding uh, was a thing. Uh, you know, there's a guy I used to skateboard and hang out with a guy named Todd Swank. Uh, I used to ride for Foundation Skateboards when I was a kid or, you know, uh, you know, my late teens mm. and as a sponsored skateboarder. And he was really into Sonic Youth. And, you know, we saw Pitchfork, the early Drive Like Jehu band, Pitchfork, and I was hanging around all those, you know, that scene. Um, and there was a, a premium put on effort over technique, you know, and that's so like I just put effort like that's, you know, and I still I think I still have it, but um, that's how the band's sound came about. Like, I'm just going to force this out i'm going to vomit this exactly like it is Mm -hmm. and and it's it's a blessing and a curse too because i'm also every record or every song i write i'm trying to tear it all down and it sounds exactly like 16 every time (laughs) so whatever whatever but i I think that's that's the thing about it that's like uh i don't know like when you talk about johnny ramone and how johnny ramone you know is is one of the great one of the greatest guitarists of all time, but he always was doing Johnny Ramone. And the that's like the auteur thing, right? Like you, you see a Hitchcock film, you know it's a Hitchcock film. Like you want to have, if you're doing something unique and it's all to you, it's it's your own style, right? So it's always going to sound like you. It takes a while to accept that though. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, um, because your ideal is always something different. And then you just let go of that expectation. Yeah. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What? You guys went, you guys went on tour of Slayer super early too, right? You guys did some shows with them? Uh, yeah, like three dates. Um, <clears throat> at a time, uh, like a guy from Atlantic Records uh this is when like band you know this is the nirvana everything's huge uh it's like 95 maybe uh, but yeah he definitely threw us up there it's on like youtube uh bakersfield and las vegas i think we play with slayer um on the divine intervention tour um you know we were just thrown up there i think they kind of we didn't have melodic vocals um some of us had uh either mental illness and drug problems so i think they they wisely passed on us uh you know but uh we definitely got those opportunities and it it did it help uh, like as far as like a draw or anything like that no <laughs> uh you know we i don't know if they knew what to make of us with all the feedback and stuff but i i, I thought we killed it uh you know i mean we didn't get booed off the stage we definitely held held it together uh, and, you know, but, uh, you know, it would have been better if we did like 20 of those dates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, I think it's one of those things where as long as you don't get booed off, that's the best you can hope for with like a, a crowd that's there like that for Slayer. It's like opening for Motorhead or something where, you know, you just got to hold your own. And like you're saying, you, you, you might not steal a lot of those fans away and make them your own fans because that's just the nature of that beast, I guess. Yeah. 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 No, yeah, it was it was awesome. You know, I mean, we got to see. I'm a giant Slayer fan, and was back then, and you know, uh, so it was mind, you know, melting. Yeah. Uh, we brought we brought like all our friends with us. You know, our touring party was like 20 people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we like didn't have we didn't have a van, so we just had two pickup trucks. So we're literally following around a semi and a bus and trying to get paid by their road manager with like 20 dudes and like fuck just a total shit show you know no, we didn't even have cases for our guitars like we're just a total shit show uh, and we definitely couldn't afford to rent anything or you know uh, but of course it was awesome how could it not be yeah i'm not gonna you know i mean at this point at this point that's this story could have ended and we might be doing this podcast because that's so that sounds such crazy life right there. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you, you went, you know, you, you played Jabberjaw and Courtney loves there. And then you go to and then you go to Japan with Pusshead and then you open for Slayer and you're like the end. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just like the first chapter of the band. Like, it, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like there are few bands that warrant a book, I think, as much as 16 does, just because like you're saying, there's it's it's real. Like this isn't just like a, an act in terms of the, the struggles that are being sung about in the lyrics and stuff. Like from what I've understood, it it's something that the band has had to deal with the whole way through as like a, a real mental mental health thing is a real thing. Drug issues are a real thing that you guys have had to to deal with. And, oh, yeah. 
Um, you know, I, I don't know how it would have been any other way, though. I think we had that that punk punk rock and skateboard bravado, mm. and I think that that you fall into risky shit that way. Um, but it also doesn't make you the most stable, uh, create you know, people. <laughs> yeah. Bottom line. Well, I think like you're saying, there's like, a, a, especially to be presented with all these opportunities out of nowhere and just like have to deal with survival, but at the same, it's like a feast and famine at the same time situation. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely, you know, like, you know, a, a lot of us had like no, you know, uh, parents to come home to or places. So you're just scraping by and living with, you know, girlfriend or just fucking practice space. But uh, still trying to hold some, you know, shitty job as well because you have to eat, you know. Yeah. When, when you guys like, I guess being on P- Pusshead's label, Bacteria Sour and, and Pusmort, it's it's amazing thing because obviously the artwork and everything like that. But then all those records were really hard to get. Like, did it was that something that you ever factored into or was that something you guys thought about when you went eventually signed with pessimizer or is it just the relationship naturally ended because i remember as a kid you could never get the bacteria stuff pessimizer stuff had great distribution oh that was the whole thing yeah. uh you know we we made that album drop out two or three years before it came out i think we arrived in a in a lower tuned sphere yeah. <laughs> than a lot of bands uh because Dropout, I think if you listen to Dropout and go, wow, this is from like uh, 94. Yeah, you know, that's this, crazy. This is like a, this is from 94 and it didn't come out to like 97 or something or 96. Uh, and some of it was recorded in 92. So it's like, um, you know, timing is everything. And the timing uh, was very tough with him because it just, you know, <laughs> I mean, but it works for him. So who who am I to yeah. say? You know, uh, you know, it definitely works for him. But that was a huge thing for us. And then we were just, you know, we were brothers with uh, with you know Chris Pessimizer. He was just he was we were you know he was one of us, and we were one of him. You know, we we came from the same uh, you know socioeconomical, mm-hmm. uh, but also musical. Uh, and uh, and kind of skateboarding background, you know, so. Yeah, like, you know, like much in the same way with Standard, Pessimizer is like one of those labels that obviously everything's extreme sounding, but every band is fucking amazing. Like it's really uh, mm-hmm. like a sub pop of heavy music. That and his his aesthetic of just, you know, of, of this kind of weird negative humor, uh, well, pessimist and miser. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know that had me right there. Um, but his his humor, his zine, uh, everything. He was, you know, um, like I said, like we were a part of what he was doing um, before. I think we met each other. <laughs> like, yeah, it was just like the same wavelength. Uh, even though I always think he's definitely a little cooler than me. But, <laughs> Well, I think like I think that you know, dropout people like will talk. You know, people say like, "Oh, record saved my life." I think that record saved my life. Like that record, at various times in my life, at real low points, I've turned to that thing in the way that people turn to the like a Bible, and it's brought me comfort in in heavy, heavy times. So, 
I'm glad it got better distribution in the end because I don't think I would have gotten it potentially if it was on Bacteria Sour. I'm I'm glad it lives on Spotify. I'm fine with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad it's there. I mean, we still play like three of those songs uh, every time. You know, they 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 stood the test of time. Well, but I think that's the other thing about the band is is it's and it's so fascinating because like the membership has changed at various times, but the the name has it's always been consistent to the brand of this band being like it's almost like the band is bigger than the people in it in a way. And I don't mean to diminish your role obviously in making this band, but at the same time, like it, it's almost like, I don't know, there's a power to 16 that just has existed for so long now over so many different lineup changes, but it's always been consistently powerful. Uh, you know, I think um, that comes from not being satisfied and also we've always verified uh, you know we put a real premium on sincerity mm-hmm. uh, and i think when you put a real when you put your emphasis on sincerity uh hopefully you'll have that result so that's you know if 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 we were a company that is our corporate ethos <laughs> uh so um you know the, the premium is on sincerity uh, you know yeah, being for real, dude. Being for real. Yeah, <laughs> sincerely <laughs> negative is is the ultimate motto, I guess. Right? Like the, uh, or do you think it is negative? Do you think the music is ultimately uplifting? Because I do. As I'm saying this, you know, I've I found it very uplifting at times. Um. No, no, I actually don't. Uh, you know, I mean, there's. Uh, I think there's a a real. Telling it like okay, telling it like it is—that's like a hardcore trope. But I think we got really good in telling yourself like it is, mm-hmm. uh, and that's why I think dropout worked. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of lines uh, that are uh, relevant uh, in kind of self acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and uh, and of course, it's nothing like. You know, you know, like, so what Dropout did for you, like Rollins Band, Hard Volume did to me, mm. you know, I remember being like, not suicidal, but like, you know, definitely low, low points in my life and listening to like, uh, Gun and Mouth Blues, and just going, I fucking get it. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna push through, I'm gonna push through this shit. Um, and, and I, I think that's like, and also there's like, kind of a, a peace in in giving up like not not everything is a fight uh there's a there's a there's a uh, go with the flow of 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 the dirt yeah yeah because i think like yeah. like you're saying hardcore is all about honesty and sincerity but there's very little honesty with oneself at times like a lot of it's living up to like an expectation that's an external expectation and i think 16 like you're saying there's always this sort of peeling back the layers and being like, no, here's how it is. And like you're saying, surrendering to sometimes you can't change who you are. And sometimes you just have to be who you are for better or for worse. Yeah. Except your biology. Except your biology. Yeah, exactly. Like you're, yeah, yeah. Well, and so much of it is like, you know, be straight edge or be positive or be this thing. And there's a, a complete discounting of an ignorance of the actual biology and chemistry that goes into mental health and, and 
goes into addiction and goes into all these things like you know we're not just fighting our will here we're fighting our genetics in some cases hugely Mm -hmm. hugely i mean what do they say the the dna just loads the gun yeah (laughs) yeah it's yeah (laughs) very true very true like with it were there were there bands that you felt like because you're saying it's a it's a band unto itself like were there bands or scenes that you felt like you could have been a part of or that you were a part of with 16 um well like you know um we were of course greatly influenced by the whole amphetamine reptile thing Mm -hmm. but but you know that that was over before it started yeah i know yeah it's such a weird Um, little micro like bands like yeah you know like uh i mean not not to say that like you know jesus lizard of course transcended that um but like bands like tar uh surgery you know you saw those bands once and they never came back um and a lot of that so um if we were trying to be a part of any scene early on that would be the one and then after all or after that it just became like i don't like you know i don't i don't want to quote the guy because he's such a piece of shit but uh you know, I never want to be part of a club that have me as a member. Uh, you know, there's this kind of, you know, disgust in, in yourself for wanting to be a part of a scene that I don't want to be a part of a scene. So fuck off. <laughs> but so much of like, quote unquote, making it or, or like having a career in the music industry is about this sort of like being part of a scene or being a part of a community. And like, what do you do when you have a natural aversion to to want to be part of this thing or like part of a thing other than the larger thing that we're all a part of um well you know but that's but that's my angle man (laughs) no uh it's it's a problem for sure it's 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 definitely a problem uh you know i i have no uh but i have no regrets about it either Mm -hmm. so i have this it gives us a little bit of a staying power that we're not the whims of a scene. We're just kind of going to be here. Yeah. You know, we're going to occupy this little corner. Um, at this point, I'm super happy that I just keep the same momentum of creating and, and that keeps me super happy. When you left the band for a few years, did you miss it immediately or did it take a while before you wanted to come back or like, how did that whole process go? Uh, no, I, I like immediately started another man. I, I got a job in San Diego. Like I, it wasn't like a big thing. Like I'm, I hate you guys or anything like that. I just was kind of, I was living in LA and, uh, I just wasn't going anywhere, uh, professionally. Um, and so my, my friend, uh, that I mentioned before owned all these skateboard companies, uh, toy machines, zero, uh, pig wheels and foundation who has to ride for I got a job as like a sales manager to skateboard company uh, and so I moved to San Diego and I always adored San Diego so the I was living in you know a pretty rough neighborhood of Long Beach uh, with my wife who's my girlfriend at the time and she worked in East LA uh, you know and it was just a it was a rough existence for us mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's, there's no parking, there's fucking gunshots. There's, you know, it's just, a, it's a pain. It's, you know, there's no laundry. It's a struggle. So we got, you know, I got a better job and we got to move to San Diego. We moved to this, you know, fucking cool neighborhood called uh, Hillcrest or Golden Hill. 
And it was just like, well, I'm doing this. So I'm going to take off guys. And they're like, okay, well, you know, can we have your amp? Uh, you know, um, seriously. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you can have one of them, <laughs> only one, uh, you know, um, but then I, I automatically, I just moved down here and started jamming with people immediately in the, you know, making the same shit I always make. Uh, so I have to do it. Um, and then I had a kid, so, you know, I wasn't really in, in a hurry to, to be in a band. Yeah. Because, you know, I had to, I got a mouth to feed, man. So what made you want to come back to it? Like, was it like, did you feel like, obviously you're doing music the whole time, but to, to step back in there, what was, uh, like, what brought you back? Um, you know, it was just, I mean, for one, at, at that point I, I wrote, let's say 70% or 75% of the songs that 16 had. And I thought I wrote, and I thought I wrote the good ones. <laughs> no, um, you know, I wrote some of our, uh, you know, on, and also the the band just kept like, there was like a tribute site on uh, MySpace to it, you know, and then it was like, well, let's just get it back together. Our friend uh, was in this band called uh, Wormwood uh, from Seattle, our friend Larry. And he was like, just get the band back together and play Dropout. And, you know, and like maybe like two, two or 300 people came and it was amazing. And then we we're like, oh, we're a band again. You know, that was it. And then we just, you know, and then we wrote a bunch of more songs and then we got signed with Relapse. So it was just like, oh, here we go again. So we were only off for like three years, uh, you know, at the time. So it didn't lay dormant for long. But it, I guess it was kind of mine because I wrote the, I've, it's kind of mine because I'm always the guy propelling it forward. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like, um, you know, I'm like not a good guitarist. I'm an all right song, uh, songwriter, but I'm the guy. I'm, I'm the guy that everyone's going to look forward <laughs> towards. I'm just that guy, you know, and that's that's cool. That's cool. So I'm, I'm that guy that's going to pull push. You. I'm gonna either going to we're going to write the songs or get the show. We're going to do something. So it just came back to me like friends i gave it to some friends and they did it for a while and then they gave it back to me and i still do it it's so yeah. it's so awesome because it's like you look at bands like fleetwood mac or you look at acdc you look at all these bands throughout history and there are like distinct eras of this band these bands that like tell a story and i've always felt that was 16 too like the lineup changes or the shifts in the band like it's always like i said earlier it's always going to be good but it's always going to be slightly different in a way have you guys always had the same approach to writing lps because very few bands kind of have consistent coherent visions when it comes to an lp and it seems like right from the get-go that was the way it was with the band even though as you're saying they're recorded over sometimes years um i am more of a chaos type creative like uh, we're going to decide and get 500 feet away from this mm -hmm. when it's all over, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's no uh, pre-planning on my part, but for the last record, the dream squasher uh, and uh, the, the newest one into dust, uh, Alex, uh, our guitarist, who's been with us for like five or six years now, he, he's kind of a real visionary. Um, like I said, I'm not, I don't consider myself a, a a good musician or anything like that, but I'm I, I can I can pick out talent pretty good. 
uh, and uh, I think he's co-opted the van into his own vision. <laughs> yeah. uh, and and I and I, I totally welcome it because for one, I'm just bored as fuck of me you know, of my, and so now I've gotten to move like four feet over to the microphone and play rhythm guitar. Mm -hmm. And then he, his higher concept of song structure or song choices in an LP uh, is not left to chance, but I didn't really leave much on dropout to chance either. I had, a, I had a pretty good vision for dropout, even when I was a fucking kid, I was maybe 23 or something. Yeah. Cause like, it does sound like a, like a cohesive, album and like for a band that young doing like what the is it the second lp it's pretty wild to have that kind of like grasp on it like you're saying it's 94 it still sounds like it could have come out today it, it does it's it's i think we've aged quite well uh, but then again i don't really listen the whole reason why this band works is the striving like i listen like i even listened to the lp today that i made um, while doing chores and I was just all, Ugh. it's like, I just made that last year. <laughs> like I got to make some new shit, you know, I got to come up with some better ideas than that. It ages so a lot better that's... than orange County ska that we were talking about earlier. <laughs> all the way to the bank, man. Yeah. All the way to the bank. Well, that might've made more no. money, but, but still, I still, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta live with yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Cause like my wife will watch the voice. And Gwen Stefani's one of the judges on it. And I just think like, oh man, she saw it instead and inside out. How wild is that? Like that this is where it all you know, I I know. I, I saw it, no doubt fuck a million times. It's were those shows like violent, or is that kind of like the beginning of like the the sort of I don't know, like pop punk explosion at that point? Like were there skinheads going to those types of shows, like you're saying with the Sublime shows? the very tail end but you know they those the thing with the the skins i think in that area in orange county is they turned out to be real bad guys mm -hmm. like you know like real real criminals who really went to prison yeah you know that wasn't just that wasn't just a violent scene that was like a group of guys that are probably no longer with us yeah. Yeah. you know um so um no no you know that was like 10th grade in high school no doubt was the place to go and fucking dance and just you know have a good time and try to try to meet a girl in a polka dotted dress you know it was just just totally california magic shit you know it was amazing <laughs> <laughs> and then 16 is the opposite side of southern of orange county i guess and like one side you have the sunny ska on the other side you have the the reality of the other side of orange county it's like it's like like they weren't wrong with calling their album uh, tragic kingdom you know because like i went i went to high school on Catella, right where disneyland you know is and it's like you know that whole tourist area on a harbor and Catella is very nice and then it was just like grinding poverty and gangs mm -hmm. uh, all around it mm -hmm. uh you know it was it was a very violent society so I, I think they were right on the money but i think that we had the experience of literally just being chased through alleys and shit skateboarding you know either by gang members or skinheads so i and also i didn't have the talent or or melody or know-how 
to do anything other than like I just wanted like rape man and poison idea. <laughs> you know, like you can't go wrong with poison idea. That's like the uh, the ultimate DNA. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I heard that shit and I'm like, well, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> The, it, when Georgia Harstark from My Favorite Murder, that podcast was on, uh, when she was on Turned Out of Punk, she grew up in Orange County. And like you're saying, she had, she's like, yeah, I dealt with Nazis. Like, it was terrible. Like, it was not a great place to grow up for me. And it's it's funny. No. Like you're saying, it is, it's something that I think people have a different conception of until they live there. You know, I mean, a lot of it was ideal, like I said, going to see No Doubt and, you know, hanging out at the Huntington Beach Pier and skateboarding. And then there was also, you know, getting jumped by skinheads and your fucking head kicked in uh, or, you know, uh, you know, gang members walk up to you and just ask who you claim and you they just fucking 10 people beat you up. Um, you know, it was not unheard of for someone to get put in the hospital or attacked for some reason you know just for being there mm -hmm. uh you know so it was like a, a violent society in a beautiful sunny place at least then uh now i just don't think anyone can afford to live there so <laughs> i think that's the thing with m most cities now like i just wonder where you know not certainly not where bad things going to happen to people but more like even like where where are the cheap places to set up a practice space like where are the the cheap places for someone to live while they're doing a band and also trying to hold down a job. Like it feels like culture, people are cultures being priced out of areas now. Well, you know, uh, gentrification is a real thing, mm -hmm. but it, it, it brings all this other stuff. Like whole foods is just an amazing grocery store. That's all I can say. Man. <laughs> well, you don't have Trader you know, Joe's up here yet, I'm but fucking... I'm jealous of that. Oh dude. So I got, Trader Joe's, Barron's, Barron's is this like kind of high-end uh, little gourmet place. And then, you know, Sprouts, Jimbo's, this is, uh, San Diego's a good place to live. Yeah. If you like fruit. And if you like pro wrestling too, a lot of great pro wrestling from San Diego as well. There's, this is, I, I've, ever since I came here when I was like 10 years old, I'm just like, I'm going to live here. Yeah. And I did. And here I am, and I will never leave. Uh, you know, it's funny, though, because when uh, John Reese was on the show, he talked about how San Diego, in terms of violence at shows and things like that, made L.A. look like, you know, like a like a no-doubt show. Really? Yeah, he was saying that the skin and shit was so crazy in San Diego when he was growing up. Oh, well, yeah, the, the skinheads, they were. They were based here. Are you kidding? The guy, Kurt Metzger, the Aryan Nation was based here like right up the freeway from me. Oh, wow. Um, you know, when we were, when we were older, uh, we played with neurosis on the, uh, in silver and blood, they brought us on like three dates on that tour. And when we came here, I couldn't believe the amount of skinheads. And then it was, it's, it's a hotbed, uh, certain areas of San Diego. Uh, so yeah, I, I, like I said, I don't know John, but I admire him, but I could definitely, it's San Diego has a weird rural, kind of redneck culture in the suburbs mm. and then the fact that it has the tension of the border being right there and the border you know with its fucking 20 foot high or 30 foot high fences and all the guns and this you know it, it brings attention to it and uh so I, I would not doubt it at all yeah i spent like uh, i made a documentary about wrestling so i spent a lot of time in in tijuana and in san diego kind of going across and uh 
it's it's very it's very interesting to kind of like like you're saying there's such a a militarized kind of presence on that border that yeah it makes it you know i imagine just people feed into it and become assholes because of the the i don't know it just i could definitely feel what you're talking about though it's the tension it's the division mm -hmm. uh it's it's i mean it's a border it's us versus them no matter what you know mm -hmm. um i, I you know, some of us, I personally uh, think it makes it even better uh, and not for the violence reasons, for the multicultural reasons. Um, but a lot of people don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was it like when you guys went up and played San Francisco back then? Like you mentioned playing at the Gilman. Um, I guess there is that slap am scene kind of going on. Would that be kind of the stuff you guys would wind up playing with up there or is it just typical Gilman? Yeah. No, we, we played definitely some quote unquote legendary shows. You know, we play with uh, we play with Dystopia in a, in a warehouse, and it would just be great. And you know, Dino from Dystopia was a, a good friend. I was friends with his younger brother, so uh, we used to practice in, in a practice space uh, in Santa Ana, California. Uh, and so, you know, those guys were always like cooler. They went to my high school. They had like dreads in like 11th grade and shit, you know, and I'd, I'd hang around this guy, Steve, that was in, or I'd try to hang around him, uh, who was in, he, I think he, he was in phobia for a long time. Uh, but uh, Steve was like, he, I'm like, hey, I got a band. And he's like, what is it? Some skater punk stuff. And I was like, no, I, I, I like Carcass too. Uh, you know, so, um, but yeah, we, we play with dystopia. We, you know, we play with all that kind of group up there. We gotten some epic shows uh, back then. It's hilarious right now how this, the dystopia shirt has become like the, the thrasher shirt or the motorhead shirt of this era. Like my brother <laughs> dropped his daughter off at, at her elementary school. And there was like a, a grade four kid wearing a dystopia shirt. That was like, yeah, my parents got me in a crust. Yeah, that is so funny. It's so weird. That's, that's awesome. I guess this is the time we live in now where like, you know, all this music that used to be underground is now accessible to everyone in a way. So if it was cool, you know to us... it's, it's so funny. So um, my son is 19 now, mm -hmm. but there was a stage when his friends would come over and like I saw like a self-made tattoo on my kid's friend's leg of black flag, black flag bars, <laughs> Yeah, you know? And then, uh, you know, my son's, one of his friends uh, was into, you know, Infest and Dystopia. And I'm like, how do you hear that? He's like, you do. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, shit. I'm like, well, check this out, kid. <laughs> <laughs> my son's like, dad, leave him alone. <laughs> I know. It sucks <laughs> when my kids' friends come over and they, they actually think my stories are cool. And they want to see the records. And then my kids are like, dad, leave us alone. Get the fuck out of here. I know. <laughs> At that stage of fatherhood, where you just go in their room and they're like, what? Yes. You want. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I got, I got that now. I got that now. Like, what do you need? I'm like, I'd say hi. Yeah, I love hi. you. Hi. I love you. You turned out so much better than me. <laughs> yes. Bye. <laughs> but that's the thing, I guess, like, knowing that they turned out better than you gives you the strength to deal with the fact that they don't want to hang out with you. It's like, well, I wouldn't want to hang out with me either. So <laughs> I, I'm like, and then it makes me think I'm like, God, you're so cool. Yeah. It makes me feel all needy. I'm like yeah. they're so cool. 
I wouldn't want to hang out with me either. Yeah. I, <laughs> I wrote to my, my kid's teacher yesterday. We're writing back and forth about something. And I'm like, yeah, I just got to convince him to hang out with me. And as soon as I send it, I'm like, that sounds so pathetic. Like, It's so true. Though. It's so true. Dude, it's fucking, it's, it's cats in the cradle all the way. Yeah. And, and also it's like, you know, you're in 16, like, you know, you, you were like a pro skater at, as like a little kid, like it's fucking cool, but no matter how cool you were, it's almost like the inverse with your kid. It makes you that much dorkier to your kid. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So you just quit trying. Yeah. You're like, this is just me. It was cool then. Yeah. It's not cool now. No, no, but cool now is Mr. Beast. And, you know, none of us are going to be Mr. Beast. Have you seen Mr. Beast? I don't Be- even know what Mr. Beast is. Oh, my God. No. He is the most watched person on YouTube. And he's just like a dude. Like, he doesn't, like, he plays my. Should I? I feel like I, feel like I should take notes. I'm like, Mr. Beast. Yeah. Mm. I, Investigate Mr. Beast. I was at the gym today, and on the screen, they had a poker game, a celebrity poker game, and it was Mr. Beast and Ted Cruz playing poker on a celebrity poker what game. The fuck? <laughs> But he's just a guy, and he doesn't have anything special. He doesn't know how to play guitar. He doesn't know how to skateboard. He doesn't know how to, like, any of the things that would have made you cool in a different era. That's not Mr. Beast. He's just a dude who played Minecraft, got a lot of a lot of money, and then started giving the money away and has grown it into, like, billions and billions of views and millions and millions and millions of dollars. And But the kids, my kids, my younger two, think he's the coolest. And I'm just... What I'm like, what does he do? Like, he's not even that great looking. Again, I always want to refer back to me trying to explain the germs to my dad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, when I when I'm about to condemn that as look, this is I want to sit my son down and go, look, this is fucking nonsense. You know, and then I'm like, no, because remember you were trying to explain how cool Darby Crash was to your <laughs> 70s father your you know your fucking 80s dad so i guess we need to admit we don't know shit ever at a certain point yeah and i think that's yeah. the uh that's a great thing about this is like that that's what that's why it's cool to always like the underground stuff because then you never have to worry about you know it's always you're like that meme at the party where the guys in the corner like they don't even know about dystopia at this party like that's how cool we are that we know about all the secrets I... <laughs> did you ever see uh red cross yeah, I had a bunch, dude. They were like my favorite man. One of the best. So I liked, I liked, so I mean, I liked hardcore Red Cross, but I really got into him when that guitarist Robert Hecker mm. joined the band. Mm-hmm. Um, and Neurotica, um, you know, I was like, like I said, I, I we went, I saw, um, I saw, where was the band? had uh don bowles from the germs was in it oh they did a cover tater tots no um no Uh, they used to open up for red cross uh, oh uh celebrity skin thank you they remember their cover of sos oh yeah that yeah so i saw them open up for red cross at, at like the celebrity and there was like they stole all those uh, McDonald's characters and just put them on stage and they had a smoke machine and they had like super long hair and like Paisley body suits on. And it was just like, that was the most punk shit I've ever seen. Like, 
you know, they had McDonald's characters everywhere, a heavy smoke machine, Red Cross neurotica. The, the you know, the guitar playing is still to this day amazing. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I loved every it was like it was pre-grunge. Um, but they were on to it. Yeah. You know, they they were a total 70s HR puff and stuff, but with like big muffs and marshals. They're the band that should have been, you know, like because they were the band that if they had been able to take it to that level that Nirvana did, like obviously Nirvana is Nirvana. But when you watch footage of Nirvana playing on a stage, it's just like a band that would have been playing in a club, but playing on a giant stadium stage. Whereas, you know, if it had been Red Cross, there would have been some incredible costumes. <laughs> yeah, Red Cross would have done it. They would have gone all out. I think they're like, you know, much like I said about 16, they're a band that never got bad. Like, they never put out a bad record. Like, I love Face Shifter. That's my favorite record by them, I think. That's a great record, too. Oh, never, there's yeah. not a bad one in there. No, there is not. And, and they the were on McDonald a, brothers are geniuses. Yeah. And, and like, like you're saying with yourself too, they are also people that got into it. Great. Well, especially with Steve crazy young. And so they aged out of it when they were still super young and were able to kind of like, you know, move on to this whole other world that they made. That they invented. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I, yeah. I don't think they get enough credit for being like ahead of Jane's addiction ahead of sst stuff ahead of grunge ahead of a bunch of stuff in la this has been unbelievable and anytime bobby you want to come back on this show and talk about music the door is always open well i guess i could always use some press i don't know man <laughs> how, is that wait is that how we do this thing this music thing it's how we do is it how we do it i think yeah i think yeah you know for a band that has survived and thrived for this long to not be playing the game whatever you're doing is working so just keep doing what you're doing don't worry about how you're supposed to be doing it exactly exactly i'm just uh you know um like i said i listened to my lp today and i was like i should write a better one than that god <laughs> so you know uh, i think i think we'll be around on that premise alone like a weird insecurity that drives you forward. <laughs> uh, that is awesome. Thank you, Bobby, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Bobby will be back because we can all use some press at some point in the future. And whenever he needs that press, we'll be happy to give it to him here at Turned Out of Punk, the uh, press outlet, for better or for worse. Uh, but do check out, if I am a press outlet, please let me press upon you to check out 16's Into Dust. All right, coming up on the next episode, Bobby is going to be happy with this one. Coming back to the show, the greatest punk rock siblings in the history of punk. I think we can say that. I think we can, maybe alternative music, maybe maybe rock and roll, maybe music, period. On the next episode of Turn Out of Punk, returning, it is Stephen and Jeff McDonald from the band Red Cross. And oh my gosh, is this a good one. <laughs> this is awesome. If you have not heard Stephen McDonald's first episode, first appearance on Turn Out of Punk, or the first time they were on the show together from last year, check those both out in advance. Uh, there's a lot of callbacks, uh, but this is a good one. 
I'm excited for you to hear it. And Bobby's going to be excited too. All right, that is it for me. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives and issues of indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and their rights and stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths and different sexual identities and just knock out all like different races, knock out all that hatred, knock out all that shit, because we're not talking about politics here. This is just basic human rights. People deserve to be able to live free from violence and oppression. So if there's stuff, organizations, groups in this world that are making a difference and affecting positive change that you feel like you should support, support them. And that can be with your time, that can be with your physical presence, that can be monetarily if you can afford it. Sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them. It's just literally dead weight. Try meditation. Maybe it can help you. It's helped me. Uh, and uh, make your own culture. Anyone can do this shit. Go out there, start a band, start a fanzine, do do whatever. Do, just just try something. Try something creative. It'll, it'll Once again, something else that can help you feel better. All right, everyone. Uh, thank you for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode. Bye.